We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Mr. Davis, we're going to talk some breakouts, buddy. Okay. Yeah. We're going to get into some breakouts here. And, uh, oh, and also you can find Lucky Lefty podcast also on you. The Lucky Lefty show also on YouTube. The podcast, CFB Nation, the the show on YouTube. So just check that out as well. So, Mr. Davis, let's have some fun with some breakout players. So we kind let's of talked it. about it before. We had one guy in common. And let's start with him first. And that is the right tackle, Mr. Blake Fisher. And here's what a breakout can be. A breakout can be a guy who's a starter and a good player that becomes a star. It can be a guy that doesn't play much or is a rotation guy that becomes a really important part of the rotation. So a breakout doesn't have to be a guy that becomes a first-team All-American. It could be an example where Audric Estime was a breakout this year. Was he an All-American? No, but he hardly played the year before. Logan Diggs was a breakout this year to a degree. Didn't become a star, but went from, what, 200 yards rushing to 800 yards rushing. So it doesn't have to mean everybody's a star. But this one, Sean, is a breakout for us because you and I both believe that by the end of next season, people are going to be talking uh, as much about Blake Fisher as they are about Joe Alt. Joe Alt, absolutely. And I think it comes down to the fact, for me, he's very similar to Tyler Buckner in the sense of they were just robbed of being able to play the game. And once they play the game, you start to see their talent rise and why everyone thinks they're going to be as good as they were predicted as coming out of high school. Blake Fisher, for me, developed on both sides of the coin. I think he developed in pass pass pro. I definitely think you saw him fall in love with run blocking, in my opinion. And the mindset, the best test was something that you brought up last spring. And you were like, Sean, I just don't know. I just want to see how he meshes with Harry. Mm -hmm. And I think that was solved this year. Mm -hmm. I think the young man took to Harry's teaching. And Harry told us before the season, not only with Blake Fisher, but Joe Alt, they're young. Relax. Everybody's throwing all these accolades at them. Relax. Because not only do I have to teach but there are some things I have to tear down to build back up with these young men. Joe Alt was a little bit further along because he had played. He was used to the speed. He was used to a lot of different things. Blake Fisher, I think, was challenged in multiple ways. Harry, he stand, but then the way he responded to the challenge of Marcus Freeman. Let's go back to fall camp. And Marcus Freeman got up after practice. And he put the responsibility on the player to be ready for the practice and what they're being asked to do. He was talking about Blake Fisher without talking about Blake Fisher because we happened to be at the practice. And it was Blake Fisher who had to call the quits halfway through practice physically because the pace was just too much for him. It was a hot day. And, you know, hot days for big linemen are more difficult, are difficult more than for them more than anybody else on the squad. But the way he responded, 
He came back, got himself in shape. In my opinion, he ended up being the second best lineman right behind Joe Alt. Most people can argue with Jared Patterson. Josh Lugg, I thought, took a step forward mm-hmm. <laughs> this year. Kostopic was just, I mean, uh, uh, Zeke Carell was flat out, man, just a rock of Gibraltar at the center position, everything you can want at that position. And what you saw from Blake Fisher, I think the ability for him to go through those challenges in the offseason gave him the ability to come back in games because he's a different personality than Joe Alt. Joe Alt's personality is very even killed, Brian. He's very even killed. Like, nothing's really going to rattle him, right? Blake Fisher has a mentality to whereas, you know, he can get frustrated because he – Or really like, fired up. Yes, right. right. He's not as even killed. And sometimes when he's not playing as well in the past, you've seen things kind of like stack up on him in games. Now you go watch that Gator Bowl. Like, you see him early on, okay, and once he adjusted to things – he came back, and then he took off. And I just think that's the growth that he's shown as a player that is connected to the growth he's shown as a person dealing with and meshing with the teaching of Harry Heastan, being challenged by his head coach physically, responding to that. I think these challenges have made him a better player. And each rep, he's going to get better. And I think next year is going to be the year that you finally see him take off and start to catch up to Joe all because physically, most people would say physically, an NFL scout would look at Blake Fisher and immediately be like, oh, man. Whew. Right? But then they look at the film of Joe Alt and it's like, okay, that kid. This is where his film starts to catch up with the way he grabs the attention of most scouts just physically when he walks on the field. And now he becomes that dominant player that we always thought he could be at the right tackle position, which is going to make it very interesting because if he does that, I'm very interested in seeing where he lines up because if he's a first-round pick, does he automatically leave? Or does he see himself wanting to give himself a chance to play left tackle if Joe Alt leaves? to give him the opportunity to be seen at left tackle as well. It's going to be very interesting, but I fully expect him and Joe Alt. Now, I'll ask this question. Name me a starting tackle combination that's going to be better. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. 
Here's my thing, Sean, and this is why some people kind of talk about like, you know, you're a little too fired up about next year. And I'm like, yeah, you're, you're probably right. Like I, I am. I'm, I'm, I'm always kind of fired up, like looking forward to the next year because until we see it. Right. But, you know, when I look at it, you say, boy, they, they've got they've got a guy that potentially has a chance to be a top 10 national quarterback. Right? we'll talk about that in the, the show. Yeah, you've got one, in my opinion, one of the five best running back rooms in college football. You've got arguably the best tackle tandem in college football coming back next year. Mm-hmm. You've got arguably the best cornerback tandem in college football coming back next year. It, it's arguable, but it's it's but the fact that it can be argued is is you know um, it, is certainly certainly aspect of it. And so to me, you look at other parts of it. There's there's aspects of this team that are going to be as good as anybody in the country. I mean, ESPN who is by no means a pro Notre Dame organization did a way too early preseason list. And the only team that had more preseason all Americans, and this is just one team, it's not second team, third team, just one, you know, first team that had more than Notre Dame was Georgia. That's it. Mm -hmm. Yep. You know? And so there's reasons to be, to be optimistic and, and to, and to be really fired up about what this team can be, but there are questions that still need to be answered. Right. And so to me, if Blake has the jump, see, here's the thing. Blake doesn't even need to make the jump we're talking about because we're talking about, here's what we're talking about. Sean and I are talking about this. Blake and Joe having similar results to what Q and McGlinchey had in 2017, mm-hmm. where they were both first team All-Americans on almost, I think uh, Q was unanimous. And I think Mike was consensus. If I, if I remember correctly, I don't think Q, Mike was also unanimous. I don't think. No. And so, uh, something like that, Sean, right? And even in 2016, they were both second and third team All-Americans by different people. So, I think that's kind of what we're looking at. But even if Blake just goes from what he was this year and just takes a natural, just a normal kind of jump to a they're still one of the best tackle tandems in college football. Mm -hmm. But what Sean and I are predicting with Blake Fisher is that he goes from being a pretty good player at times that's inconsistent to a pretty good player that's – consistent a lot more of the time because for for Blake one of the things that Harry Heastan has always been very good about and he had this issue with Ronnie Stanley I think he had this issue with Quentin Nelson is for different reasons they had trouble controlling their emotions as football players and I don't mean like they would throw hissy fits or temper tantrums I just mean that you know sometimes guys can get a little too hard on themselves yeah uh, sometimes guys allow mistakes to turn into more like that was the issue with Ronnie Stanley early in his career. If he would make a mistake early, he would kind of beat himself up and then it would lead to another mistake and another mistake and a false start, another kind of thing like that. And coach Easton had to get him to be like, dude, just, just stay within yourself. And now, you know, as good as he was in 2015, he was, he's been even better in the pros because of the foundation that coach Easton set with Q. It was early in his career. He was just too out of control. He was too aggressive. He was too, you know, wanting to go crush somebody. And then Coach Heastan had to kind of find a way to harness that where you wanted to keep him super aggressive, mm. yeah. not to the point where he was whiffing on guys because he was coming off too hard. And so that's the thing. That's where Blake is to me. Blake's kind of a balance between those two guys where, you know, Blake can beat up on himself a little bit sometimes. Mm-hmm. You can see it. And, and you got to be like, hey, you know, it's hey, you gave up a, set, a, a, a right tackle's got to be just like a corner. You're on an island, or left tackles the same way. You're on an island. You're going to get beat, and everybody in the stadium is going to see it. Move on. Right. Right. Don't make that mistake again, but move right. on. Emotionally, mentally, move on. Register, I, I underset. I got out of my stance slow. I overset. I shot my hands late. Recognize why you got beat, correct it, and then go kick the guy's butt the next play. But you could see with Blake, he would get frustrated at times. You could see it. Yeah. And so, but again, sophomore didn't grow up in the home of a 10 year NFL veteran. Right. I mean, right. And yeah. so he, he's a kid that wants to be great. And that's where Blake's frustration would come from is he wants to be great. And I also think this at times, I think the fact that Joe was so good, this is just me projecting like my opinion and feelings. And I don't even know if this is a, a was a conscious thing, Sean, I think subconsciously, I think the fact that Joe was so good put pressure on Blake to try to be that good instead of just worrying about himself. Worrying about himself. Right? 
but he's again young kid. Yeah. Blake's never been on a football field where he wasn't the best guy on the field. That's <laughs> you know what happens, what I mean? right? Yeah. Right. And so now that he's a year older and a year more mature, the baby face is going to start to go away a little bit. He's going to start to look a lot more like a grown man. The game is going to evolve and the consistency is going to be there. And it's going to kind of, to me, like get to the point where it's it's not, I got to be as good as him, but hey, oh, okay. I saw you pancake that dude the next time. Ah, watch what I'm about to do. And then it becomes like a, let's go do this together kind of thing. And I think that's the next step for Blake is that consistency. And then just dude, don't worry about Joe. Don't worry about anybody else. You worry about you from the standpoint of how you're affecting. Now there's always, Hey, we're commu- We're doing a, do- a duo block together. That's what I'm talking about. Right. But right. As far as like how you're playing, you worry about you. And if that happens, Sean, and he continues to take the coach, he stands coaching. This kid's going to end up being like a, okay, let's have the debate at the end of the year, Sean, who was the more dominant player? And that's what we're predicting. Am I, am I, am I speaking? I'm speaking no. for you, but that's where you no, see it this as well. Spot, this spot on, this spot on. And that's, that's, that's the challenge for him. I, he wants to be great. Yeah. Like he wants to be great. And he expects that of himself. And I think that's where his frustration comes from sometimes because he feels like it should be automatic, but you know how it is, man. Anything in life, what you need to get to that success is discipline. And and the discipline comes in different times for different people, right? Joe Alt had the discipline by living with someone that was able to show him. So his style of play is better suited to being a disciplined guy. Absolutely. And Blake, his discipline, he had to be broke down in some ways and exposed in some ways. Now see, some people can take exposure personal and get really defensive and won't grow from it. And that's what coaching is all about, right? Because if you're coaching someone, you're basically exposing their game. That's what you're doing. You're exposing, okay, this is what you need to do to get better. How they take that and grow from it is ultimately what makes these young men success on the college football level and then the next level when they get to the NFL where everybody is physically good. Right. Except for the unicorns that are just blessed beyond belief, you know, and can do things that no one else can do. But uh, you hit it spot on, man. I just think the young man is going to piece it all together this year, and he's going he's gonna to take off. He's going to take off. So – yeah. If that happens, this offense is going to be really good. Yeah. Really, really, really good. Uh, if you're still talking about Justin Scott visiting tomorrow, please check the message board. We have a report on that. Um, so, uh, <laughs> yes, just take a deep breath, folks. So, um, Sean, here, let's go prediction numero, numero deuce. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Who's your next guy? Who's your next breakout? Because I thought you're. I thought one of them. One we have the same position, but a different guy. Yeah. I thought your number two one. So let's work from bottom up. I thought your number two one was really fascinating. It was not what I what would have predicted. You would have said. And I, I uh, think right. I th- yeah, I was trying to remember if I said him first or second, but for me, Lorenzo Styles Jr. Yeah, has a good chance to be a breakout next season and look oh the tools are there sean it's all you can't you can't tell me it's like all of a sudden he struggled this year everybody forgot what he did as a freshman and what we thought he was going to do last year absolutely and i think there are some things that played into it but then i just think mentally at some point he checked out and I think that early. was a challenge early. Early. And that was a challenge. So now you have a staff that's trying to get a kid back mentally, right? Because when you lose it, now look, we want we want you to play. But heck, we just have to get you to block at this point and catch the ball consistently. Like we're going back to the basics with you now. This isn't about what you did on that route or it getting into things like that. This is like, man. 
catch the ball, block, and we're not even throwing the ball to you down the field. And I'm not saying they specifically did that because we all know there were limitations in offense when it comes to like passing down the field. Right. But I think that was one of the things that did really hurt him because in my opinion, he's one of the most versatile pieces in that wide receiver room. When it comes being able to be moved around, play different positions, he's the one guy that can get you some yards after catch in the screen game. He was the one guy that you saw that could take the top off the defense you know, on the post route and some other routes consistently, you saw that his freshman year is just mentally he checked out. And I don't know what it was, right? I, yeah. I really don't know what it they was. They tried to build the offense around him the first two weeks, Sean. I mean, they were Absolutely. throwing him deep balls against Ohio State. They threw him an RPO the first play of the game. Like, Absolutely. I, I don't know what it was. I mean, they were trying to get him the ball. But I think just, in the Marshall game, he has the drops. He gets frustrated. Drops that crosser against Cal, Cal, you know, yeah. and then things just built up on him, frustration, then Tyler gets hurt, and then his it just kind of snowballed on his roommate, right. and he he just kind of just lost it. But it was yeah. good to see him at the end of the year buy in to what the team had become. Like, because it affected, I think it affected every area of his game. But you started to see, go including watch. how, according to some sources, including how he acted him off the field. Yes, yes. He, he did not have the best attitude off the field either, and I think that was a big part of it. And yeah. I'll say this, Sean, because the thing that you said to me was this. I'm going to give people a little inside, inside baseball, inside look at our conversation earlier. Your your comment was if he stays that you made to me, and I, and I think that has to still be applicable now. Now, obviously, Notre Dame passed one giant hurdle. He didn't jump in the portal in January, December, January. That's Mm -hmm. a big first step. Now, if they can keep him from jumping in the portal post spring, then that's, that's the big one. And, and, and the reason it's important, Sean, because Lorenzo's not staying. If he doesn't buy in, it's not going to happen. No, the staff won't want him to stay. If he doesn't buy in. Yeah. The point being that if Lorenzo's on the team next year, for me, it increases the odds that he has gotten his head on straight because what Lorenzo went through this year was not, had nothing to do with his physical skills and had to do with it, it being up here. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So, so uh, that young yeah. man, in my opinion, could be one of the biggest stories of the year, right? Because what happens is everyone talks about Tobias. Everyone talks about Kayla Smith. Everyone talks about the freshman coming in, right? You have a dude that has done it. He has confidence, like, yo, I came as a freshman, and I was killing it. Right. Like, I went to the Fiesta Bowl against Oklahoma State, right. and I put up numbers. And he had big right? plays against North Carolina, big plays Absolutely. against Nor- against USC, big Absolutely. play against Virginia. I mean, he wasn't a guy that just were still – Here's the point, Sean. We're not so talking about what we saw from Lorenzo in high school. No. We're talking about what we saw from Lorenzo in his first year at Notre Dame. And, and that's the thing is, like, with Tobias, to a degree, we're still projecting what he was in high school. Yeah. Because he only caught one pass. He should have caught more. I mean, he was yeah. open other times. But there's still a level of projection there from high school. Lorenzo's like, no, dude, just give me the guy we saw in the Orange Bowl or the Fiesta mm-hmm. Bowl. Just give me the guy that we saw against USC. Just give me the guy that we saw against North Carolina. Yeah. You know, and and <laughs> those are the things that that to me are 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 going to be very very important. Let me give very, you the key important. key as well. Veteran quarterback as a freshman, young quarterbacks as a sophomore, veteran quarterback as a junior. You think it doesn't matter? It matters. Like there are a lot of the, and when you you pointed out something. It, you would just keep it a buck. If he didn't want to get back to that player, yeah, he more than likely could have been one of the people in the portal. He's out. Yeah. In the portal. So that kind of makes you feel good about where he is. He's mentally. at least taking a step, yes. right? That's the yes. thing. And he's locked in, which goes back to what I said. I watched him block at the end of the season. I'm like, oh, okay. Right. Like, he's, he's bought in. He's kind of realized, okay, this season isn't going to be what I right. thought it would be. But you know what? 
I'm I'm locking in for us right. to win football games. No. The concern for me, Sean, is that he still didn't catch a pass in the bowl game. Yeah. He still wasn't running with the effort and the speed needed in the bowl yeah. game. Yeah. So it wasn't completely bought in, but at least you saw progress. So that was a good one. My my one of my others is actually Deion Colsey. Now, I don't I'm not making this prediction from the standpoint of I think Dion is going to go out this year and be Notre Dame's guy. He's going to be the guy. He's going to be the alpha. He's going to be the number one guy. I'm not ready to go there yet. But but where I am ready to go for now is that he's going to have a big breakout from what he was this season. And the kind of breakout I see is more of a Corey Robinson breakout. Mm-hmm. And, and if you know, because Dion this year had nine catches for 192 yards and a touchdown. And it reminds me a lot of 2013 when we saw Corey Robinson catch nine passes for 157 yards in a touchdown. The next year, Corey comes out, he has 40 catches for 539 yards and five touchdowns as sort of that boundary guy. That's the kind of breakout I, I think we'll see from Deion Colsey. I think somebody else is going to break out and become the guy. I don't know if that's going to be Lorenzo. I don't know if that's going to be Tobias. I, I don't know if that's going to be a tight end. I don't know who that's going to be. Mm-hmm. But somebody is. But I do I do feel good at, at least about saying that I see a Deion Colsey, Corey Robinson type of jump in year three. Deion's first year was basically a, just wasted because he wasn't coached. You know, uh, now I want to see him kind of take take that next jump. You know what I mean? And um, that's what I want to see from him. I think he's a guy that I see as being that potential breakout player for Notre Dame next year at, at wide receiver as a guy that goes from nine catches to 40, 50 catches for, you know, five, six, 700 yards next season. That's my number two. What's your third prediction, Sean? Logan Diggs. He was my number one. And what I mean by that is, I, and this kind of, this will kind of parlay into what we're going to talk about next. I started looking at where this offense could really go, right? And it reminds me, by no means, I'm, this is not apples to apples, okay? But the lightning-thunder combination, they're running back, the quarterback, veteran quarterback that most feel like can be a Heisman contender, and then big wide receivers. Reminiscent of what we used to see with USC, with Matt Leiner, Lindell White, Reggie Bush. But like I said, it's not apples to apples. I'm not saying these guys are those guys. But I can see Sam Hartman throwing for 3,500 to 3,800 yards like Matt Leiner did. I can see Logan Diggs and Archie Estimate both surpassing 1,000 yards rushing or getting close to it. I can see a wide receiver getting close to eight, 900 yards and receiving yards. Two of them, as a matter of fact. Double-digit touchdowns for one. I just think the capability of the offense and what Logan Diggs can do and what we saw he can do on the ground and in the passing game in that Gator Bowl is just the tip of the iceberg. Like, once again, I was thoroughly impressed. We both agreed that most people would disagree with us, Brian. We watched the film. We both agreed the best running back was Logan Diggs last year. I know that's how I felt for Mm -hmm. Notre Dame. He was the best running back. And you look at his versatility. So all around, right? Yes, all all around. around, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Audric was the best pure Downhill running. Yeah. Right. Well, we're talking about all around. We know the conversations we were having in April and May, Ryan. We know the conversations we were having. So to know where that young man came from just in April, May, to what he put on the field for Notre Dame, constantly seeing seven to eight-man fronts, he's just scratching the surface, in my opinion. Or what he can do, and he missed a chunk of the offseat of the of the of preparation yes. going in. Like Dude, Logan Diggs was not in the best shape of his life, no, because no. he couldn't do hardly any upper body work until no. the Ohio State game, right? Because he was dealing with the shoulder issue. 
you know, and, and whereas Audric Estime kind of shows up, Sean, in day one, and he looks like a Greek god, you know what I mean? Like, he just kind of showed up as that dude. Yeah. And so, like, to me, here's the thing, Sean. To me, Audric is who he is. Like, really good back, but this is what you're going to get the next two years. The only thing that, to me, might change about Audric mm-hmm. is refining his footwork, refining yeah. his game, being more consistent. But, like, this is his game. You know, and he's just going to have normal incremental jumps. I think the point that you're making, and I agree with, is that 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 Logan has got a lot of a, he's got another jump in him. Audric doesn't have another jump to me. Audric's just going to steadily get better because he's going to refine his craft, right? Because physically, he is who he is. You oh, don't I want him to get bigger and stronger, right? He is what he is. All mm-hmm. the improvements Audric's going to make are going to be technical improvements, yeah. experiential improvements. Yeah. Logan will make those same improvements, but Logan has a physical jump that is still there to be made, in my opinion, if he can stay healthy. Mm-hmm. And that's the point that I'm making where he is not my breakout guy just because I kind of think he already broke out last year. And I don't think he's going to become the guy the way that you're predicting, which is totally fine. I mean, if he does, it's if he becomes that guy and everybody's healthy, it means he's going to be a star. Mm-hmm. Right. I still think it's going to look a lot more like this year where it's that one, two punch with Tyree being that do it all guy. I pray that's what it looks like this year. But to your point, the reason I could see it happening is because, as you said, he does have he he has a really good all around game. He was injured a chunk last year because here's the thing. It wasn't just the shoulder. The shoulder is what happened in the blue gold game that cost him the summer. He right. was dealing with a hamstring injury all winter. And so Audric, Logan did not come into camp in the best shape of his life. You can see, you can see it in the pictures of the of the running backs. Audric's ripped up. Jadarian's ripped up. Yeah. Uh, Jabron Payne's ripped up. Chris Tyree's ripped up. And then there's Logan Diggs, who just kind of, you know, looks different. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because he missed a lot of the offseason workouts that year. He had he doesn't have a naturally defined body anyway. He's never going to look like Audric Estime. The point, however, is that it with a healthy offseason, this is a kid to me that is going to make a big – could make a big jump absolutely, physically. And that's the difference between him, Audric, and Tyree yeah. and Jadaren Price. None of those guys have a big – they've already made it. They've already done mm-hmm. it. Yeah, They've already made the big physical jump. And Logan, to me, has not. And that's yeah. going to be the key. So don't be shocked. You know, most people looked at the South Carolina game or like, oh, well, that he he made that play because South Carolina is slow. Right. But no minute, one said that beforehand. Nobody said no. that coming into the game. No. Right. No. No. That's so, a young man right. that was rounding into shape the more right. they got into the season. And also, and speed's was- overrated, Sean. I mean, look, here's the deal. If I'm a 4-6 and you're a 4-4 and I got a 10-yard head start on you, you're not catching me. I mean, Tony Jones had an 80-yard touchdown at Notre Dame. You know, Dexter Williams had a 98-yard, 97-yard touchdown. He was a 4-6. You know what I mean? Like, it's explosiveness. It's about angles and all that. And and Logan and Audric both have a really good feel for the game. But I think Logan is the most natural runner. You know, he's the most natural running back that they have. And so, for me, I, I, I... I, that's why I've said, and I know Audric's the fan favorite, and I could see Audric becoming that guy too, depending on how the offense evolves. Yeah. But you got to remember something else that's going to give Aud- Logan a heads up. Tommy Reese loves Logan Diggs. <laughs> loves Logan Diggs. He's a prototype running back for his offense. Yes. Like, I don't think y'all understand. He loves Logan Diggs. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So uh, that's, a, that's a part of his too, because like you said, he fits that offense really well. Now, Logan's got to improve in some areas as a, as a sophomore going to be his junior year, but the tools are certainly there. Here's my third. I'm going to have a little bit of fun with my third one, Sean, and that is my third guy is Holden Stace, the tight end. Um, so for me, Sean, I'm going this way. I am not predicting he's going to be the guy at tight end. Okay, so hear me now. It's not going to be the guy. Yeah. But I think he's going to have a breakout. I think he's going to become a very important piece to this puzzle because Eli Raritan is banged up. Mitchell Evans is good, but Mitchell Evans isn't the the volume guy that a Michael Mayer needed to be where he was going to take up all the oxygen in the room at tight end, mm-hmm. right? I think what we're going to see this year, because we started to see it in the bowl game, 
they were both out in routes a lot in the 12 personnel stuff. And what I think that 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 you're gonna see is is with 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 Mitchell as the one, because here's the thing yeah. when 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 Mayer was the one and Mitchell was the two, Mitchell was more of a blocker. But if Mitchell becomes the one and Holden's the two, then they're both gonna be used more as route runners. Right. And so I think you're gonna see them do more stuff out of 12 personnel, like we saw in the bowl game, where hey, we can run out of this, but we're gonna throw out of this a lot more than we did in the past as well. And also Mitchell wasn't really a hundred percent till we got to later in the year yeah. athletic, you know, speed wise, cause he was coming back from the foot injury. And so we saw him a little bit fresher and healthier in the bowl game too. So I, it wouldn't shock me if Mitchell becomes like a, a 50 catch guy this year at tight end or a 40 catch guy. I'm not predicting Holden's going to be the number one, but the reason I'm putting him in as a breakout, Sean, is because I, I am predicting that Holden Stace is going to have 20 plus catches next year. Now, he had one one this year. If Notre Dame's number two tight end becomes a weapon in the pass game where he has 20 catches for 350 yards and three, four touchdowns, how do you defend this offense? Like, if their number two tight end can start catching the football, how do you defend this offense? And I think I look at it, and and, and I'm sort of kind of looking at the prototype of, look at Georgia. Mm Mm-hmm. Like in, in one of my big knocks on the offense, and this goes back for years, even before Tommy Reese. This isn't a Tommy Reese insult. This is just kind of an is you put this number two tight end in the game and you never throw him the ball. Yeah. Makes no sense to me. Because now you're telling the defense, hey, even if he runs a route, we're not looking at him. We're 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 looking at these four. And I think that limits you and it makes it easier for you to be defended. What makes Georgia's hard to defend is honestly, there was a lot of times this year where they had two really talented tight ends and three solid receivers on the field at a time. Right. But they what have made him dangerous is because they were all options. Mm-hmm. So if you start, spend all this time trying to stop Lad McConkey or Brock Bowers or whatever, now all of a sudden, okay, now you've got this big horse running down the middle of the field named Darnell Washington. Right. Well, if you try to stop the tight ends and you're leaving McConkey or Arian Smith or A.D. Mitchell or whoever else on the one-on-one outside, Marcus Roseme and all those guys, then, okay, then they're good enough to beat you. And with the scheme, they're going to scheme those guys open. I think Tommy Reese is great at scheming receivers open. I, I do. We saw it all year this year. If he can start getting all five weapons more involved in the pass game, this offense is going to be really hard to stop. Now, you can't do it all the time. you got to have some seven-man protections, some six-man yeah. protections, and I get all that, especially in the play-action game. You don't want to release both tight ends on a play-action. You want to at least have one of them showing pass. But a lot more frequently getting both tight ends, and if, and if I'm right and Holden Stace has a breakout, I mean, he goes from like one catch to like 20-plus, along with Mitchell kind of having a, a, a breakout as well, because I could have easily gone there. I'm just yeah. trying to make a different point. Then I think this offense becomes very, very hard to defend because you've got running backs that can catch the ball, Sean. You got receivers that can catch the ball, and you got tight ends that can catch the ball. Got to use them, and that and and that's where I think we're going to see this team evolve a little bit. Is more of that kind of stuff where maybe you keep your back in and release both tight ends on some plays, and then the next play you keep your tight end in and you release your back. You know, and then some plays, you 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 have everybody out. And I think when you've got a quarterback with Sam Hartman's experience, if he can pick the offense up relatively quickly, you can do a lot more free release routes because he knows where the hot is. He knows who I'm throwing hot off of. And that's what killed Notre Dame against Navy is they had they had beaters built into their pass game to beat those pressures. Drew just didn't know who they were and couldn't throw off of them. So he'd see them coming unblocked and he'd just kind of panic and just take a sack. But if you go back and watch the film, you're like, dude, throw the cross. They're literally running a receiver to where the blitz is coming from. Like, throw the freaking ball, you know, and, and it just didn't happen. Well, that's always going to happen at times. But when you got a veteran quarterback that can say, hey, you want to bring pressure? That's cool. I'm getting this sucker out, and I'm going to yeah. burn you with it. Yeah. Because the thing about his Wake Forest offense, that it was really good. He had a lot of those big tree receivers. But the way they run their mesh, like he didn't, and, and the way they build it, they didn't have a ton of guys that you could say, "Hey, just get that dang ball out to him and let him go." Let him go. Notre Dame's going to have a lot more of that. They are. They're going to have a lot more of that next year. 
And so to me, that's something that I'm looking forward to seeing from this offense it, with Sam Hartman. And I think the other thing, too, is, is when you have a guy like Tyler Buckner, if Tyler Buckner's a starter, whether it be he beats him out, whether he gets hurt, whatever the case may be, here, here's the thing, Sean, is when you have a guy like that, you don't want to blitz him. You do not want to blitz Tyler Buckner because it might work out. It might work out. But it it if it doesn't and you don't hit home, he's going to kill you. And you want to you want to hear some stats for you, Sean. I'm a numbers guy, right? You know, because I like proper context. Yeah. Last year, Drew Pine, when blitzed, 91 times, he went 42 of 77 for a 54.5 percent completion rate, 590 yards, 10 touchdowns, and three interceptions. Okay, that's what happened when he was blitzed. Sam Hartman last year when blitzed. On a hunt on 235 dropbacks, so he got blitzed a lot more. He completed 62.8% of his throws, averaged 9.1 yards per attempt, threw 24 touchdowns and five picks when blitzed. That's, that's uh, incredible. Pretty good. Yeah, that's incredible. And and if you look at the year before, one of the things that made Notre Dame's offense so good is Jack Cohn was able to beat the blitz with the ball. Especially late in the year when the, when it got when uh, team started getting better, and you look at Jack's numbers the year before, Jack was at sixty six point nine percent, nine point two yards per attempt, thirteen touchdowns, one pick. Yeah, right. And you put that kind of production on, and this is why you and I would always say, Sean, if Jack Cohn, you and I don't know if we've ever said this in a show, but you and I have said this to each other a million times during the season. If Jack Cohn was the quarterback on this team, oh yeah, insert win over such and such team, absolutely. Because he would have been able to protect the run game. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Well, we know we said that in the offseason. We said if Jack Cohn was coming back, this team would go to the playoffs because we knew how we respected what Jack Cohn did for that team the previous year. Some other people might have felt like, oh, man, it's like, no, Jack Cohn, by the end of the year, you bring him back with an offensive line like Notre Dame had this year because he he played behind an offensive line that was spotty at best. That couldn't run the ball. Even when it was good late in the year, it was yes. still not very good. It was still not very good. You put him behind a t- man. Dude, if Jack Cohn had played this year, they might have put up 60 on Clemson. Because they were yeah. they were running, they would they were running the ball at will. And you add in play action. Mm-hmm. And you know, maybe that's a little bit hyperbolic, 60, but still. Uh, look. That's just how important is. Uh, well, I think that adds important. to the breakout of the running backs too that you're talking yeah. about because. Yeah. And you, when I say that, I mean when when I mention Logan Diggs, I'm talking about I just think all around yards from scrimmage. Right. I think he's going to eclipse 1500. Well, here's the thing, Sean. I could see them both staying in the same category in carries. I don't see I don't think Notre Dame's gonna have more carries next year than they did this year. Mm-hmm. If anything, maybe a tad less. But the difference is what I think you're gonna see if the pass game can be a better complement to it or become a legit weapon is the the carries stay the same, 150 or so each. But then all of a sudden Logan's yards per carry goes up from four point nine eight to five point nine eight. 
right? And so he was at 165 carries this year in 12 games, right? So let's just say he just has that jump from 5.4.98 to 5.98. His yards go from 822 to 987. Same number carries. That's a big jump, you know? So you look at Audric Estime. Let's say he doesn't make quite as big of a jump, you know, but let's say he goes from 5.9 to 6.5. And all of a sudden... He, he's over a thousand yards. You're talking about two guys on the same number of carries. If they can just mm-hmm. jump their yards per, per carry a yard in one case, a half a yard in the other, yeah. you're talking about 2000 yard backs and you didn't have to give them the ball any more than you normally did. No, then you already have. And now you're efficient. Your drives are going on longer. And that's where you still have the same number of plays or even more plays because now you can throw the ball more because you're not three and out in it as much. And so those are all things that you look at and you say, boy, that, those are the aspects of it. And, and, and I'll kind of go back to where I was before, but that's kind of where I say it's really important that mm-hmm. you get a little bit more out of the tight end position, because that could be the, the thing that ultimately makes this team, you know, a lot more effective is, is when you can really have the, the weapons that you need to have across the board. I think it's where you start getting kind of really. Yeah really really be really effective there in my opinion so yeah, we had we had a discussion this week i think <laughs> this might be one of the biggest or the most tempting seasons for tommy mm-hmm. <laughs> because i think he's going to be tempted especially if hartman makes the adjustment that we think he's going to make tommy's going to be tempted He's going to be tempted. He's a quarterback. He's going to be tempted to throw the ball around. He's going to be tempted to throw the ball around. So it's interesting to see like yeah. how many, but how I, many attempts per game do you think Hartman is going to get? And uh, like going to those two yeah. backs, like how many carries per game do you think they're going to average? Do you think they both get fifteen apiece? You know, maybe one of them gets two or three more, depending upon right. the game or the vibe or the situation right. or the flow. It's going right. to be interesting to see how Tommy manages. Everything. Right. Here, here's my belief, Sean, and and I really do believe this, and and I think we've seen it. I believe, like, here's your thought is, boy, if you get a guy like Sam Hartman, is this going to? We have a lot of Oklahoma State games. If if you know Tommy Reese, that was a game plan out of necessity, not yeah. a game plan out of this is who I want to be. Yeah. I have always said this that Tommy Reese's offense was working at its peak form of how I believe he wants it late in 2022 before all the offensive line injuries happened. That's what I think. Yeah. Because if you remember, like this year they finished like 70th or something like that in yard in plays. Last year they were 43rd. In 2020 they were third in plays. Now that's somewhat skewed by the fact that not every team played 12 games. Yeah. But still, they're not going to go from third to 60th. But there was a stretch that began with Georgia Tech and and really Clemson that the rest of the year where you just kind of saw there was like a four-game stretch where you're like, this is who Tommy Reese wants to be. Mm-hmm. They went for 208 rushing and 310 passing against Clemson. They went for 274 rushing and 283 against Boston College. They went for <coughs> 199 and 279 against North Carolina. 283 and 285 against Syracuse. In that four-game stretch, they went for 6.6 yards per play, 7.2 yards per play, 6.9 yards per play, and 7.4 yards per play. Yeah. And to me, like that is where I think Tommy Reese wants to be. I think that Tommy Reese wants to be that guy that that you know they're not a a, a Lincoln Riley Oklahoma TCU now kind of system where. They're out there just you know ripping off 50 yard play after 50 yard play after 50 yard play, but maybe they're yeah. not the most efficient offense. Yeah. He wants to be explosive. He wants to be an offense that can create big plays. But the biggest thing is the efficiency aspect of it. And he and he also knows that the best way to be efficient is to be balanced. And that's why I say when you look at that stretch, and and I think he's gonna even have an even better quarterback there, but he they they're in that stretch, Sean. They average seven yards a play. And that's as they're you know chasing for a for a a playoff berth. I mean they yeah. were they were undefeated mm-hmm. going to that point in time. 
And just for, for context purposes, if you look at college football this year, seven yards per play would have put them six in the country. Actually, let me look at that. It had been 7.00. So they had been six in the country right behind UCLA at 7.01. Notre Dame would have been 7.0 on the dot. Georgia was a 7.17. USC was a 7.18. Tennessee was at 7.23. And Ohio State led the nation at 7.28. So like, if you're at seven yards of carry, you are an incredibly efficient situation. And I think that's where he wants to be. Where if you want to play to take away this, then I'm going to kill you with this. If you want to play to take this away, then I'm going to kill you with this. Meaning some games, there may be a game where they throw for 100, uh, rush for 130 yards and throw for 350. Because that team just would not get out of eight of the box. So why should we keep, why should we keep, why, why should we try to hammer the ball into the into the box when they didn't get out of it? And so we just ripped them up. Yeah. And then there's going to be games where a team tries to play balanced and you can't play balance against the Harry Heastan offensive line. They're going to rip you up. And that's what Georgia did in 2017. And that's why they beat Notre Dame. They said, you are not going to run the ball on us. We are going to go eight, nine in the box the entire game. You're going to, we're going to make you beat us throwing the football. And in 2017, Notre Dame couldn't do that to a good team, Sean. In 2018, they couldn't do that to good teams. In 2019, they couldn't do that to good teams. In 2020, they couldn't do that to good teams. In 2021, they couldn't do that to good teams. In 2022, they couldn't do that to good teams. That's why it was so important to get a guy like Sam Hartman and to get a guy like Tyler Buckner and hopefully develop him. Because either one of those guys, and that's why Kenny Minchie's important. That's why CJ Carr's important. Because if you can be balanced, and that's what makes Georgia so hard to defend, right? Because you know, you, you look at last year's game. So Alabama just comes out and says, We're not gonna let you run the ball on us. So Georgia finally yeah. hits a couple plays and throwing the football. Mm-hmm. And then what did that do for them in the fourth quarter? It opened up the run game. Right. And and that's just kind of what 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 you have to be. You have to be able to say, hey, if you're going to try TCU took Michigan's run game away from being a dominant force. Mm-hmm. And they said, we're going to make make you beat us on the football. And so their quarterback, those two pick sixes because he wasn't ready for that. He wasn't ready for that yet. Yeah, I think he'll be fine. He'll be ready for that in the future. JJ is going to be a good yeah, player. Absolutely. But he he was never asked to be that guy like the, they, the plays he was making against to- to play their game. Right. Play they, our game, our up-tempo right. game. Exactly. Because yeah. Ohio State, he's hitting like play action shots over the middle, over the top to wide open guys. And yeah. TCU made him say, we're going to keep you in the pocket. We're going to make you throw the ball because we're not going to let you run on us. And it worked. I mean, after that 54-yard run, Michigan didn't run the ball all that great. Most of the like, – they finished with like a buck 80. Yeah. But like they had a 54-yard run the first play. And then McCarthy was scrambling for chunks in the second half. I mean, that's where a lot of their rushing yards came from. It wasn't like lining up and running the ball. So they took Michigan out of their game, and Michigan wasn't efficient enough and good enough to beat them on the ball. Now, Michigan still scored points, right? But they lost because they made those big mistakes because they had to throw the ball to win, and they couldn't. And then another thing, playing that style exposed Michigan's defense. Right. Because Michigan's defense was not used to being on the field right. as much, and they weren't as physical as the Michigan defense from last year, nor were they as good as rushing the passer. Right, so spread them out, get them out of their comfort zone, make them play right. more plays than they used to. And you saw in the second half, TCU was scoring in the first half, but they started popping big chunk plays in the mm-hmm. second half. Why? Because this was a style of game that Michigan wasn't used to in the Big Ten where they could just sit up there and pound you for four quarters and their defense can take possessions off because the offense is out there for 10 plays, 12 plays, and they're just sitting on the sideline and they're fresh late in the third and in the fourth quarter. Nah, TCU was like, no, we're not going to let you play in your comfort zone. Yeah. We're going to play our style of game, and we're going to see if you're good enough to beat us playing our style of game. And Michigan just wasn't – they didn't have the offensive – flexibility that you were talking about because J.J. McCarthy wasn't ready. Mm-hmm. It's not that they didn't have the receivers and the right. talent. Quarterback just wasn't ready to do that because they have the tight ends. They have yes. two tight ends that you yes. can you – can, you saw that. Right. And, and their receivers are up. good, but yeah. they're not take a game over like Quentin Johnson did. No, good. no, no. And that's what they were missing. So, Sean, 
that was a good conversation and that led us from breakout players into that and it and it came to to kind of circle it back it's because yeah to be that type of offense you need to have balance from a weapon standpoint it can't just be a dude it can't be a situation where if you can take Will Fuller out mm-hmm. you can stop Notre Dame right or if Will Fuller takes himself out by having a bad game like he did against BC in 2015 remember those drops he had against BC is the only game i remember him having big drops yeah uh, it, it was was that he would have some silly drops early in his career, but he always was clutch. Now BC game, he had some bad drops. They had a fumble by CJ. They weren't efficient. You took Will out of the game, and all of a sudden their name's struggling to hang on against a team that sucked. You know, and and so because somebody else had to step up and beat you, and Notre Dame didn't really have anybody that could step up else and beat you. Although Chris Brown made a huge money play in the end zone on that 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 ball that he he outplayed the he just I mean just mossed the BC DB. And, and this year, if you could stop the run game, they're not even have a chance against a good team, you know. So next year, it's got to be a thing where you've got multiple players. And if it's hey, they didn't cover Holden Stace, and like, because here's how, here's what that means, right? So you know, let's say, let's say Deion Colsey is the Corey Robinson type production, and let's say Tobias Lorenzo, one of those guys, breaks out and is like an eight nine hundred yard guy, and the run game's going for two twenty a game, and Sam Hartman's efficient, all that kind of stuff. You're going to get in the playoff against George, and they're going to be like, okay, we can stop that, that, and that. Yeah, we're going to slow that down. Yeah, that's when a guy like Holden Stace becomes that that guy that you're like, wow, where'd that guy come from? Yeah, right. And and that's where those guys can be important because like, hey, you can't stop all of us. And so like TCU, they were able to. Quentin Johnson didn't have the impact that you thought he was going to have for two reasons: one, Georgia game plan, and two, the quarterback missed him on some big play opportunities. So you you couldn't keep up because if Quentin Johnson didn't go off and Kendra Miller wasn't going off then there weren't as many other guys could take a game over. Yeah. My point is, is if no, if, if, if Holden Stace has a breakout, that's the kind of game where that's the difference between winning and losing is because you come out with this game plan where you're going to say, Hey, we're going to stop your number one tight end. And we're going to stop Deion Colsey. Cause we've got a corner that we can just put on him. He's that good. Right. Kool-Aid McKinstry can, can take Dion out of the game by himself. Our other corners, you know, Terry and Arnold's good enough to slow down Lorenzo styles and we're going to game plan to take Mitchell Evans out of the game, or I mean, just stop your run game. Yeah, right. And our linebackers, you know, are this or that or the other thing. Okay, that that the great teams can do that. Bama can do that. Georgia can do that. Well, Bama can do that now because I have a feeling Saban's going to hire a better defensive coordinator. I don't think Pete Golden could have figured that out, <laughs> but 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 they'll be able to do that next year. That's when a that's when your backs out of the backfield become a big part of the game. Yeah. And that's what Georgia did to Bam a couple in the title game last year. It was it was hitting James Cook out of the backfield that kind of sparked that offense a little bit, right? That's yeah. when your number two tight end becomes a big part of the game because you hit that 35-yard seam route down the middle to spark your offense to say, hey, maybe we can't get away with this anymore. You know what I mean? Because we're yeah. we're so focused over here that we didn't account for Jaden Thomas up the slot because we could take our outside guys away, but we couldn't defend Jaden Thomas and Mitchell Evans and Holden Stace and the backside of the backfield and all these other type of things, right? And that's why those pieces are so important. That's that's what you need to win a championship. If you're not going to have the most talented team on the, on the field, and Notre Dame is not going to put the most talented team on the field top to bottom against Georgia and Alabama, no, just not. not You've got to have those complementary weapons that can be neutralizers and then, then, then protect the best parts of what you do. Because in those big games, those great teams have been able to neutralize the Notre Dame offensive line to a degree – because Notre Dame couldn't do, wasn't balanced enough and didn't have enough weapons throughout to say, okay, you want to do this, we're going to make you pay for it. Yeah, And that, to me, is what happened in the bowl game. Now, it's not Georgia and Alabama. We're just talking about South Carolina. But Notre Dame also didn't have their full complement of weapons either to a, to a degree in that game. But what happened was is South Carolina said early, you're not going to run the ball on us. <laughs> and so Notre Dame said, okay, we're going to beat you other ways. Well, Tyler was missing some of those throws early. But once he started hitting those throws, and South Carolina was like, crap. You know, that little slide route to Logan Diggs. Why? Because they were playing the run. Yeah. And so they got sucked inside because they were playing the run. And that allowed Logan to get outside. Bam, 75-yard touchdown. You don't get that kind of leverage if a team is playing you spread out. So then South Carolina started to spread out more because Notre Dame was killing them in the flats and on the perimeter. So then what happened? Started running right down their freaking throat. You know what I mean? Because you can't do, you can't stop both. No, you got to pick one. No, and that's what happened. 
So, and that's why JT was getting open behind them, behind the linebackers, because they were coming down. They saw play action. They were coming down. Yeah. And and Notre Dame couldn't do that in a lot of games. They couldn't do that in the regular season. If you stop the run, it's like, well. And that's, look, that's why Notre Dame fans that go back to certain games and say, well, the, the offensive line didn't do this. The offensive line didn't do that. Look, you have to give your offensive line an opportunity to make an imprint on a football game. It's very rare that an offensive line is going to walk in against a credible opponent and just dominate from the first snap. That's that's not the way college football goes. Like if you play Alabama, Georgia in the playoffs or in Ohio State, Ohio State is going to come in into Notre Dame Stadium. Notre Dame's offensive line isn't about to just dominate them from the first snap. They're not. The game has to get a flow. And then you have to allow your offensive line to say, hey, now that's not to say that the offensive offensive line from the first snap can't pick up pass pro, can't give time to Sam Hartman. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm talking about when the game gets to a point where you flat out realize, like, oh, they're dominating the trenches. Like, they're now they're, they're dominating. Now they're pushing these guys around. You have to give your offensive line an opportunity to do that. And I think. Um, against USC, I don't think the offensive line got the opportunity to do that. If they don't make the mistakes that they made and they stay close to USC and they get it late in the third, late in the fourth quarter, the offensive line has an opportunity to do that. You saw there the last two drive, that last drive that led, ultimately led to the pick six, that drive, South Carolina was done. Like it was, it was over. Just go watch that drive. Physically, they. You had linebackers not even trying to get off blocks. They were just. That's what happened on the next drive. Yeah. After the pick, to your point, it's like you guys caught a break because we threw that pick six. That's on us. Right. We're going to come right. Right and, back. And I loved that drive, too, because it was just like we're coming right back at you. Yeah. We're coming right back at you because we yeah. we know we had you on the ropes and we let you. We gave you oxygen. Mm-hmm. We're strangling you out again. All right. We're choking you out again coming right back at you and then that first run was like bam bam yeah bam yeah you know and And it was it was the physicality i get we talk about this i think we talked about this the play before the game went in touchdown they're down there and they try to run the ball to audrey estimate and there are like five south carolina defensive players in the backfield and they're they can't they're just too tired to get him down. And Aldrich right. just works his way from a three-yard loss into a two-yard game. Yeah, that's a huge play. That's a Sean. huge play, which yes. gives Tommy the ability to call the next play, right? right? Which was now, the little slide to Tyree, correct? No, the next play was the actual touchdown to to, to Bauman coming across. It was going to be the third. Tyree was before that. Yes. Okay. Yeah, it was going to be third and like – Oh, that's right. It's going to be like third and 13. Yeah. And instead it was like third, it was third uh, 12 and, seven. and then it's third and seven. Right. right. So Where now play action works both. then. Absolutely. Third and three, that play doesn't work. Third, third, third and 13, 13, that play doesn't, it doesn't work. work. Great point. But Great that point. that play is Aldrich estimate, but that play is also South Carolina's defenders being having no legs just being, and being able to be drugged three, four yards right. to give Tommy the opportunity to call that play. So physicality can show up. The run game can show up in many different ways. No one would look at that run and say, oh, that run mattered until you go back and look at what it could have been and what it ended up being and how it allowed Tommy the opportunity to call the game winning play. So that's that's why you you, you throw the body blows in the running game. Well, let, let's talk about this too, Sean, to, to wrap it up because we'll get to the quarterback stuff next. But that's why it's so important to have a multi, multiplicity of weapons, right? And I'm not sure yeah. if I properly use multiplicity there, but it's important to have a lot of weapons because you and I made predictions for next season at receiver. Mm-hmm. Breakout players. Yeah, You predicted Lorenzo. I predicted Deion Colsey. Tobias is a guy that other people might have predicted. Jeremy catches those kids made in the bowl game combined. The three of those kids. Five? Zero. Really? They didn't catch a pass between the three of them. 
Braden caught four, Logan caught two, Jaden caught five, Mitchell caught three, Tyree caught four, and Estimate caught a pass. Maybe you're right. They threw a couple deep ones to him, but he never caught one. And then they missed – Tyler missed – Tobias was open in the end zone on that first touchdown drive. Right. And he just missed him. He just missed him. Yeah. Right. And that's what Tobias ended up getting hurt. Correct. On that particular play. And they couldn't really – didn't have any burst afterwards. But the the point is this. Yeah, to Tobias. They scored 45 points and had 558 yards. And your three most talented receivers, just physical athleticism, caught zero passes in that game. But but Braden stepped up. Jaden stepped up. The backs out of the backfield. Mitchell Levin, and that's the whole point, is you had – when you have a lot of weapons, it's like, look, you can't take these guys out of the game. No, you can't. Because there's always somebody else there to step up. Right. And that's 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 what can make it fun. That's what can make it really fun. Yeah. So that's going to end part two of our show today. That was a fun discussion, Sean. It went a lot longer than I expected, but it was a, a lot of fun. I enjoyed that. We're going to get to the college football aspect next. But before we do, folks, please do us a solid and hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, hit the notification bell, share this podcast. Make sure you give us a five-star review. We would greatly, greatly appreciate that if you could do that. Sign up for the uh, – make sure you're subscribed to our YouTube channel and the CFB Nation YouTube channel. And make sure that you are also signed up to the message boards at boards.irspectdown.com. We have a link to our newsletter, I believe, in the uh, description below. We send those out most almost daily. We're going to get all the top content from our Irish Breakdown site, which is all free content. So you'll definitely need to check that out. I'm not going to put some premium article in the newsletter and make you have to sign up for <laughs> something. It's just get it right in your inbox. You can read all the best content that we had from the day before.